Hey guys, Ryan here. Thanks for joining us for another Valor podcast. This week, we are studying through chapters 8 and 9 of Revelation, which we have titled, Let Them Repent. Today, in our time together, I want to briefly talk about the series of judgments coming from the seventh seal being broken and how the prayers of God's people play a significant role in his redemption plan. At the end of our time, I would like to go a little bit deeper into the topic of man's unrepentance in the last days. So, up until this point, we have studied John's vision of the glorious Christ as he walks amongst the churches and sends each church a personal letter with principles on how they should live and endure as gospel witnesses. The interesting part about Revelation is that this word witness is actually translated to mean martyr. This allows us to see that Jesus is calling his believers not only to follow him, but to follow him even unto death for the sake of the gospel. Following these letters, we see a vision of the coming of the seven seals of God's scroll. Chapter 7 begins the period of tribulation, introducing to us the four horsemen. And chapter 7 takes an intermission in the unraveling of the seals as God saves the sons of Israel and shows mercy to a great multitude, to, to the one that we read that is not of number. Chapter 6 begins the period of tribulation, introducing us to the four horsemen. And chapter 7 takes an intermission into the unraveling of the seals as God saves the son of Israel and shows mercy to a great multitude that no one could number. It appears at this point that God's judgment begins again as the seventh seal is about to be broken, bringing us to our study passage, chapters 8 and 9. As we begin... I want us to visualize for a moment the silence that struck heaven when the seventh seal was opened. The passage tells us that there was an absence of noise around the throne of God for a half an hour. At first, this might seem insignificant, which is kind of ironic for us, since we are a culture of men constantly consumed by noise and distraction. But if we took a moment to pause and to realize and to reflect that the place of God's presence, the place of God's praise was absolutely still for 30 minutes, it would allow us to see the heaviness of the silence, that something terrible and unique is about to take place. The cause for this dramatic hush of heaven mainly comes from God's holy response to sin. For in many ways, God is revealing himself to the world that he is holy, that he is just, and that he is right. But also, if we follow the text, we see that God inclines his ear and attentively focuses on the prayers of the saints for vindication. The prayers of God's people come before him, and God says, it is time. The wait is over, and the hour of judgment is here. See, for thousands of years, God's people have offered prayers pleading for justice to be brought upon the earth. For example, the psalmist says in Psalm 94, 3, How long will God allow the wicked to gloat? Another psalmist expresses something very similar in Psalm 119, 84. How long must God's servants endure persecution? It is interesting if we follow this theme within the Bible about vindication of the saints, we come to a cry of justice in Revelation 6.10. The saints cry out in 6.10, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
This emphasis on the prayers of God's people, asking for his hand of justice and redemptive will to be done, allows us to grasp the importance of our own discipline in prayer. That prayer does in fact matter to God. Now, if we were to be honest with ourselves and evaluate our prayer life, we would probably become convicted because of our lack of faith in it. For we, not only as believers, but even more so as men, tend to rely on our own ability, strength, and resources to accomplish things that only prayer can do. Case in point, when we fight against sin or temptation or even sufferings that are brought on us by the world, we tend to exhaust ourselves in our own methods to resolve them. We put our hope in our own hands and we forget that God is with us and right beside us. As men, we don't like to admit we are weak, that we are in desperate need of God's ear. And this kind of attitude deceives us in believing in our own power. We quickly forget about the greatest resource God has given to us, the power of prayer. Sadly, because we have lost sight of how effective prayer really is, we never create a healthy prayer life. Not only do we lose sight of the value of our personal lives, but we even devalue corporate prayer not meeting with the saints. We settle for lesser things to deal with our problems and find contentment in sweeping our issues under the rug. If this is our attitude, it is no wonder why we are so defeated when hardship comes our way, or why we so easily return to the dark places in our life as if Christ has not conquered the darkness with light. Let us then put off this kind of attitude towards conversing with God, and let us be men of prayer, gathering together to seek God and to ready our hearts for his purpose. For we should not be men who wait to be brought to our knees. Rather, we should be men who start on our knees in complete dependency, conversing with God. John Wesley once said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. God's people must then be a people who believe in the power of prayer. For God is not deaf and he hears our every word. The prophet Isaiah once said, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. See, the seventh seal reminds the believer that our prayers are not in vain, that they are not wasted words. They are not meaningless breaths from our lungs, but in fact, God does hear us when we cry out to him. For in moments of our prayer, God reminds us of his promises that one day all things will be made right. Following the fragrance of our prayers, we read of thunder and lightning and earthquakes taking place. And this is really a sign and suggests that judgment is going to be poured out on the earth. The seven trumpets given to the seven angels can be broken down into two categories from the text. First, the four trumpets that are blown by the angels bring judgment and punishment on God's creation, for Yahweh is Lord over all the earth. The final three are the outpouring of judgment on his creatures, mankind, for Christ is a judge and a king above all humanity. These judgments are said to recall the plagues found with Exodus when God judged Egypt for their hardness of hearts, sending plagues and revealing himself as the only true God. 
coming to Revelation 9, 20 and 21, informs us that even though these plagues brought fatality to a third of the earth, many creatures resented their creator and still lived in unrepentance and complete rebellion against him. Just like Egypt, their hearts remained hardened towards the Lord and his mercy to save them. What is gathered from these punishments in Revelation is how devastating and how tragic the world really is. That humanity, even though they they hear the words of God, continue to rebel against him. That even though God sends acts of judgment to bring repentance, none is found on all the earth. As one pastor has said, one of the strangest things about human nature is that man has not changed because of punishment. A man is really changed only by the gospel of grace of the Son of God. The sobering reality of God's word wakes us up to see that those who put their trust in the things of this world or themselves will never be saved by them. Rather, it is only when one believes in the King of heaven, the Lord of lords, turning from their sins and turning towards Christ, will they truly be saved from judgment. See, God's aim in punishment is to cause people to repent, not to ruin. And although God has made reconciliation possible through the person and work of his son Jesus in the last days, many people will stubbornly refuse to turn away from their sin and to trust in Christ alone. So what are some of these grievous sins and warnings that we see that man clings so tightly to in the passage? Well, the first one, we see that they worship idols that will not be able to save them. The second one is that they put security in gods that will not protect them. And third, they pursue power that will never satisfy them. And fourth and final, they allow their appetites to bring destruction upon them. Although we think we are better than these rebels, these sins serve as warnings to us because we are also prone to wander. We are prone to forsake our first love. We are prone to worship things created by our hands, and we're prone to give in to immoral behavior and being led astray by our sinful appetite. Instead, the word of God calls us to trust in God alone, and in him alone we will worship. For God is our fortress, and by his power we are able to be saved. Thus we are called to be men of valor, continuously in prayer, waging war on evil, and constantly looking to the cross where sin has been paid for once and for all by the precious blood of Jesus. Our lives then, as men of God, should be of continued repentance and faith in the one who saves. For this is how we stay in the light and walk as witnesses, even if it costs us our lives." 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we continue to walk by faith in Jesus, let us find these scriptures encouraging as the, dra- as the day draws near. As we continue to walk by faith in Jesus, let us find these scriptures encouraging to us as the day draws near, that we have a Savior who hears us and forgives us our past, present, and future sins, that in Christ our deliverance is secure and our hope is sure. In closing, I want to remind us of how vital prayer is individually and corporately, that we are not called only to private prayer, but we are also called to gather together and pray in unity with saints. For Christ 
taught his disciples to always pray and not lose heart. He also said this to his disciples, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Here the word of God reveals the power of corporate prayer, that we are to be praying in unity about all things, for Christ is in the midst of his church. I hope that you will see the importance of prayer and that you will join us next time when we meet together as men of harvest. For God indeed hears us and he promises that one day justice will come and all things will be made right. Well, hey, Things are looking good for us as we're going through the podcast and, and Revelation. And I just want to thank you for tuning in with us. And, and until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.